Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Man, it's good to see you guys this weekend. Who's excited to be in church today? Anybody excited? Man, I'm fired up. Like, I'm all the way fired up today. I'm ready to go. Uh, If you have your Bible, I'm going to give you a couple different passages. One is Philippians chapter 4. The other one is for Samuel, and we're going to turn there in a little bit. Uh, But first, uh, Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is a promise. This is a promise from God that if you will be anxious for nothing, and I could preach on that right there, being anxious for nothing. Does anybody have anything that they are anxious about in this season of life? Come on. There's a lot that's going on. There's a lot that we are are anxious about. And if we could just learn to do that right there, be anxious for nothing, we could spend the rest of 2020 trying to be anxious for nothing. But it doesn't just simply say, don't be anxious about anything. Because if it did, that's not super helpful. It gives us a formula for how to do that. Somebody say formula. Come on, we're gonna get, we're gonna participate today. It gives us a formula on how to achieve this peace of God in our hearts and minds. To be anxious for nothing through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, then we can have that peace. So there's a lot that this one verse is saying, but there's a lot that it's not saying as well. And I think it's the misinterpretation of scripture like this, or uh, the reason that so many people begin to question their faith is because they think. This says one thing when that's not what it says. It's not exactly what God is saying. They're thinking it is different. They're interpreting it different than what God's word is meant to be. Have you ever sung a song and you just knew, you thought you knew the lyrics to the song, but you sang it all wrong? Has anybody ever done that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you just, you were going on in your jam and you're singing it and then you sing that line and your friend looks at you and goes, hold up, hold up. What did you just say? You ever been there? Like, what was that line that you just sang and you sang it for me? You're like, that's not at all what that line says. Somebody brought to my attention this week a song that that does that. Many of you have heard this song before. It's from the Titanic. Um, It's Celine Dion, and she sings this song. It's when when Jack, you know, and and Rose, you know, he's dying, and she's floating on this piece of wood. And if you haven't seen the movie, you probably haven't missed much. It's really long. But they said that this this song, it says the heart, it doesn't say heart does go on. It says the hot dogs go on. That's what it says. And somebody brought that to my attention. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Take a look at this. You probably know this song. Here it comes. You saw it, didn't you? Now you're forever going to listen to that song. You're going to hear the hot dogs go on. But it doesn't say that, does it? It's, you know, it, just because you might think it says something doesn't mean it says something. It might even be a better line. It might even be a better version because, after all, a heart doesn't go on. We know that. Once it stops, it stops, right? Like Jack is sitting there and, and Rose is floating on the piece of whatever it is. And obviously there's not enough room for him, but, but there's a ton of room and he could have gotten up there with her. I don't know how that thing all ended. But it doesn't matter if you could sing it louder. It doesn't matter if you sing that line with more confidence and more gusto. 
if it's wrong, it's wrong. Are you with me? If that's not what Celine's saying, then it's wrong. And I want to tell you that some of us will try to make this book say some things that it doesn't say. And it's a dangerous prospect when we try to, to, to make God's word say something other than what God's word is actually saying. Because when it doesn't happen the way that you thought it was going to happen, it creates what we call an expectation gap. It creates this this sense that God didn't live up to his word when in actuality he lived up to his word. He just didn't live up to your interpretation of his word. Are you with me? So he didn't live up to to the way we thought he should do it. He he doesn't say some things that he's going to get us out of every situation. He doesn't say he's going to, you know, remove every pain and every heartbreak from our life. He never said, I love this one, by the way, he never said that the Lord will never give you more than you can handle, brother. You ever heard that before? The Lord will never give you more than you can carry. Are you crazy? That's not in God's word. Like he never said that. And I know some of you are thinking, I don't know if PC is still in the word because he's been gone for three weeks. Maybe he has forgotten, you know, what God's word says because I have a magnet on my refrigerator that says the Lord will never give me more than what I can bear, what I can handle. That's not what it says. In fact, I know the verse that you are referencing and that's not contextually accurate. He's talking about temptation. That specific verse says uh, that you will never be tempted or allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear without providing you a way out, a way of escape. Because how many of you in this room know that you will go through some things that will crush you? You ever been there? You will go through some things in this life that will absolutely break you. If you don't believe me, uh, just I'll, I'll cite the Apostle Paul. Paul was, was beaten. He was put in prison. He was flogged. He was stoned. He ended up being beheaded, like actually lost his, his head. He went through some things that was more than he could handle, right? What about the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist? I would love to tell you that he made it through. He didn't make it through. He was also put in prison. He was also beheaded, but he had peace in the middle of his pain. Peace in the middle of what he was going through because one more time, put that verse back up here. Here's what it says, that in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, won't get you out of that thing you're going through, won't won't kill that giant that's in front of you, It won't take care of all your problems, but it will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. So what that means is that you're still going to go through pain. You're still going to go through heartbreak. You're still going to go through through tough times. But in the middle of that, Jesus is going to be right there with you. I may go through it, but you're not going through it alone. Are you with me? The problem comes, though, when we expect God to do something, to remove the pain, to remove the trial from our life, but he never promised to remove it. But he did promise to be there with you through it. There's this expectation gap. And I need you to understand that at the onset of this this series, as we talk about fear, as we talk about giants, as we talk about anxiety and worry and all these things that, that plague us, I need you to understand that if God doesn't do it, exactly like you think he should or when you think he should, what it causes us to do is question our faith and live uh, in fear of all that could happen. 
And many of us are living with many different kinds of fears. In fact, I did some study this week and looked at a lot of different kinds of phobias, and some of them are hilarious, by the way. Terrible if you have it, but they're, they're hilarious. Check these out. The first one is ablutophobia. Has anybody ever heard of that? That's the fear of washing or bathing. Some of you have that fear. And I just want you to know, if you have ablutophobia, we're just asking you not to raise your hands in worship. Just kind of keep them at your side. Church online is a great option for you if you have the fear of ablutophobia. Uh, how about this one? Arithmophobia. What do you think that fear is? It's the fear of numbers. It's the fear of math. I could have told my mom growing up because I was terrible at math. I have a legitimate fear of numbers. Uh, how about this one? Nomophobia. That's the fear of being without your cell phone. A lot of us have that. You got no more phone. I think that's what it, nomophobia, no more phone. <laughs> Ergophobia, that's the fear of work. Some of you got that. I don't want to work. How about this one? This is a, a real fear. Iraqi butyrophobia. I don't know if that's how you say it. That's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Does anybody have that? Come on, you have that? If you're online, you have that? Let us know. I mean, that's, that's a fear for many people. Uh, how about this one? Anetidiophobia. That's the fear of being watched by a duck. That's messed up right there. If you have that fear, you need some help. Uh, most men suffer from this one right here, pentherophobia. That's the fear of mother-in-laws. But this is my favorite. Check this one out. Hippopotamostrosesequipedaliophobia. That's the fear of long words, which ironically is the longest word in the dictionary. Whoever that guy was, that guy's a jerk right there, right? We all have fears. We suffer from fears. Have you ever been afraid of something? Uh, let us know too. If you've been afraid of something, put it in the chat as well. Let us know what you've been afraid of. I remember about five years ago, uh, Kristen and I were invited to go on this mission trip to the, the war-torn country of the Bahamas, and we went uh, on this on this big boat with all the food you could eat, all the drinks you could have. It was a cruise ship. Somebody had to do it. We just felt called that God, yes, God will do this. You know, don't applaud our sacrifice. But we decided that we we're going to go. And this, this guy looks at me and says, you look adventurous. Would you like to go cave diving? And we were with this group of other pastors. And I'm like, absolutely. Like, I, I 100%, I love to dive. And what's not to like about doing it in a cave? Except the only thing that made me nervous was doing it in a part of the world that there weren't a lot of quality control checks on the equipment that we were using, all right? Let me just throw that out there. And he's like, well, you know, should I take this regulator? Should I take this tank? He's like, ah, no, don't take that one. That one's a little busted. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So we're going out to the, where they're gonna drop us off. And he said, all right, the only thing you need to know is if we get separated, just stay still and I'll come find you. And I'm like, hold up. <laughs> if we get separated... Like, let's talk about the separated thing a little bit more. You mean I'm not your number one priority in this cave, in this dark cave out in the middle of nowhere? And it ended up being great. It ended up being amazing. But how many of you know, I could not fully enjoy the experience because I was afraid of something that could happen, that never happened. And I just wonder how many of us in this room or online watching that you are going through life, not fully enjoying life, because you're afraid of something that, that might happen, because you're living in, in fear. And perhaps when I read that list of fears, you're like, yeah, but I don't have any of those fears, Colby. Those fears are, are kind of weird fears. 
Yeah, but maybe you have one of these. What about the fear of loss? Maybe that's what you are, are, are dealing with, fear of losing maybe a marriage in this season. Come on, it's the last six months have been so stressful on so many relationships. It's caused so much friction in the home. Maybe it's the fear of losing a marriage. Maybe it's the fear of losing your finances. That's a very real fear. Many people are still getting laid off of work. Maybe it's the, the fear of losing your place in life. Maybe it's the fear of losing your youth. You're afraid you're getting older. Maybe it's the fear of losing opportunity. I don't know what it is, but some of you are living with the fear of loss. Maybe it's the, the fear of missing out. Maybe it's FOMO. Do you know that basically every advertisement you've ever seen feeds on, preys on the fear of FOMO? The fear of, of missing out is that if you don't act now, right? If you don't act within the next 10 minutes, then you're going to miss out on this opportunity. You know why? You know, you can get one flow B now for $39.95, but if you order in the next five minutes, you can get two for $49.95. You're like, I got to get two flow Bs, right? But we had a flow B, by the way. Anybody else have a flow B? It's like a vacuum, like hair cutter thing. It's awesome. They're amazing. You should get one. But it's the fear of, of missing out. Maybe you have the fear of failure. You know, failure will paralyze you from ever taking any steps of advancement in your life. Maybe you say, ah, there's a business that I want to start, but I'm afraid it might fail. Maybe there's a, a business that you want to expand, but you're afraid it might fail. Maybe you, you want to go back to school and get your, your degree, but you're afraid you're too old and you might fail. Maybe you want to reach out to someone, make amends with someone, but you're afraid that the relationship is too broken and it might, might fail. There's a fear of, of failure. In fact, if you have the fear of failure, here are your symptoms, procrastination, excessive anxiety, not following through on goals that you have placed in your life, low self-esteem, perfectionism, that is only doing things that you'll know you'll succeed at, right? Because you don't want to fail, you might have the fear of failure. Or what about this one, the fear of rejection? Many of you have this fear. You're living with the fear of being rejected by others. In fact, that's why, uh, where are all the single people in the room? If you're single, raise your hand. Hold it up high. Just keep it up. And now look around. Now look around. That's what you're working with. <laughs> if you don't see what you like, you know, try a different service. I don't know. But do you know that people are, are so afraid of being rejected that you won't approach anyone? And the pushback is, Colby, why would, I, why would I approach her, you know, when I can just send her a creepy DM on Facebook? You know what? what? We used to, when I was growing up, we didn't have Facebook. So you had to have something called game, right? You actually had to talk to someone. You had to use words. You had to, to approach them. You couldn't Facebook stalk someone. You had to for real stalk someone, like wait in their bushes. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But we didn't have that. You need to, you're so afraid of being rejected, it's you're afraid to take a risk. You're afraid to step out. There are married couples that have been married for years that are afraid of rejection from one another. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the relationship. Do you know that? If you're so afraid of being rejected by someone, by your spouse or anyone, then what you think is, I'm going to preemptively reject them so they can't reject me. Isn't that crazy? That we will cancel people before they can cancel us? So it's this fear of, of rejection, or maybe, maybe it's the fear of the unknown. That's what Elsa suffered from. Into the unknown, right? But isn't there so many unknowns today? Don't you have this fear of, of what's going to happen? What if I get sick? 
What if I get the, the virus? What, 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 what do I do with my kids with, with school? What if somebody gets it at school? Do I keep them at home? There are so many unknowns today that many of us suffer from this, this, this fear. What's going to happen in my life? It's the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs of life. See, a second ago, you were feeling pretty good about yourself because you didn't have a blutophobia. And now I read this list of fears, and you're like, oh, dear Jesus, I think I have all of these, right? It's the fears. Let me remind someone today. The 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if you're here this weekend and you are dealing with the fear, can I tell you something? That's not from God. And because it's not from God, you should be able to walk out of these doors today with your head held high, knowing that God wants to give you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Come on, somebody, today. That God wants to give you this peace that transcends our understanding that you can walk out of here knowing that God is in control, filled with faith. I'm just declaring that this series is going to be a giant-killing, faith-filling, shoulder-straightening, head-lifting series in your life for someone who has been paralyzed by fear. That God wants to free you from the giant's that have kept you from moving forward in your faith and living the life of freedom that he's called us to live. And there's no one better that exemplifies this idea of living with faith in the middle of our fears and slaying giants in our life than the OG giant killer himself, David. Now, you don't even have to be a church person, right, to have heard the story of David and Goliath. David killed the giant. David will become known as one of the greatest kings of the nation of Israel. David will become known as a man after God's own heart. David is gonna be uh, the only legitimate royal bloodline of which the savior of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ will come from. But that's not where we first find him. In fact, when we first find David, our first introduction to him is as the youngest brother of eight. And he's a, a sheep herder. And he has literally been forgotten by his own father because the prophet Samuel shows up at the house of Jesse and says, the next king of Israel is going to come from this house. And so go and get your boys and, and bring them out. And Jesse brings out all seven of his sons, but he leaves number eight, David, out in the field. He's the, the least. He's the most unassuming. He is forgettable. Has anyone ever been forgotten? Like That's a bad place to be. Have you ever been scrolling on Instagram and found out about the party after the party? And you're like, thanks for the invite. You know, I didn't want to come anyway. That's David. Because they call everybody, but David is left out in the field. He is forgotten. But when he's finally brought to the house, right, the, the prophet says he's the one. And he anoints him to be the next king of Israel. But there would be a season. There would be a, a period of preparation and a time of, of waiting between David's anointing as king and David's appointing as king. Because God will never promote you to a position that you are unprepared for. You should know that. Which that's a word for somebody today. Stop rushing. Man, stop trying to, to reach a level that you are not yet ready for in your life. Like, what's, what's the rush? Slow down. But if you fast forward in David's story a little bit, we find a humble David. And this is in 1 Samuel 17, if you have your Bible. He's anointed as king. He's not yet been appointed as king. And in fact, he's serving the current king part-time. And he's tending sheep part-time. And now he's picked up a little side hustle, and here he is a part-time, you know, Uber Eats driver because he's delivering food to his brothers who are on the front line of a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, 
starting in verse 20. I'm going to read this whole thing, 20 through 36, so just get comfortable. It says this, David left the sheep with another shepherd, and he set out early in the next morning with gifts as Jesse, his father, had directed him. He arrived at the camp just after the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, one army on one side, one army on the other. And David um, left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath comes out. The Philistine champion from Gath, he came out from the Philistine ranks and David heard the shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. If you read before this, you learn that he's been doing this for 40 days. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright, although he had been doing the same thing for 40 days. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give the man who, who kills him his daughter for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Come on, that's what some of you want right there. That'd be a good day. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And then he says this, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? Another version says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine anyway? That he is allowed, someone say allowed, allowed to defy the armies of the living God. I want to stop right here for a second and tell you that some of you, the giants that are in your life, some of them are there because of circumstances. Some of them are there because you've allowed them to be there. And you've allowed them to stay in your life longer than they should be staying in your life. And at some point, you need to draw a line in the sand and not allow this giant to lord over you. And this is what he says. Um, and these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, the reward is for killing him, verse 28. But when David's oldest brother, right, his own family, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he became angry. What are you doing here anyway, David? He demanded, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride. I know your deceit. Isn't it interesting that his own family starts to, to push back against him? You just want to see the battle, verse 29. What have I done now, David replied? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Don't miss that. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear... Check this out. Came to steal a lamb from the flock. I would go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from his mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. That's a bad man. That's an awesome man right there. That's a man's man, right? I've done this to both lions, S plural, and bears. Like, I, I never read that before. I, I'm looking at this. He's done this several times. It's not just one lion. It's not just one bear. But many, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So when he arrives at the, the, the valley, the battle lines have been drawn, and he discovers that there's this giant that is taunting right, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God, and David rolls up, and everybody runs and goes to hiding. The men that have been trained for this are now in hiding, 
and he hears the giant screaming at the people of God, and something snaps inside of him. Oh, I'm praying today that something would snap inside of your spirit, that you would draw a line in the sand, and something snaps in him where he says, hold up. Like, this, this isn't right. Who is this, this Philistine, this pagan Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God? He was asking, who is this man who is not authorized to speak against the armies of God? So instead of worrying about himself, David is more concerned with the glory of God. And at some point, can I tell you, instead of cowering in fear, you need to confront your giant in faith. And as a follower of Jesus, you not only face that giant because you need to move beyond it, because you need to move past it, but you face that giant because it defies and discredits the glory of God that wants to be revealed in your life. It's not just about you. It's about God. It's not just about your own story. It's about God's glory that he wants to be revealed. And so at some point, you got to move beyond it. Turn to somebody right now and say, my giant. Let's try again. Say, my giant doesn't just destroy me. It defies my God. It can't just be about you. And so David decides to do what no one else is doing. And he goes to face the giant in his youth, in his inexperience. And I don't want you to miss this. David, right, we said he's a bad man. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. However, he's never been battle-tested. He has been bear-tested but he hasn't been battle-tested yet. He's been bear-tested and lion-tested. And so, so that might be a word for someone today, a teenager or a student, that, that lacking experience is not the same thing as lacking ability. Just because you lack experience in your life does not mean that you lack the ability to do what God has called you to do. Isn't it Timothy that told us, hey, don't look down on, on yourself because you're, you're youth. Like, know that God has, has more for you, so don't let that be an excuse Young people in the room, just because you lack experience doesn't mean you lack ability. However, I think an even more dangerous mindset could be the notion that you have outgrown your ability to battle. In fact, let me talk to someone, let me preach to someone who has the, a veteran mentality, that your response would be, well, I've already done that. I've already been to battle. I've already had my, my fight. That, that, or you have the retired mentality. I'm just going to kick back now, and I'm going to enjoy my retirement. Can I tell you something? I believe that if you are not dead, God's not done, and that your best days are not behind you. If you're an older generation, your best days are still in front of you, right? And if there is still breath in your lungs, then there is still fight in your spirit. So don't you dare use the excuse because you feel older, you feel like God's, God's done with you, or you don't have a part to play in this. I believe that future generations are going to flock to this church because the learning and the experience and the wisdom that they can gain from the older generations. That's what I believe. So it's time to step up for some of the older generations in the room. Now, I don't know what your Goliath is. Uh, chances are it's not a guy in a valley with a sword screaming obscenities at you. If it is, call the popo. I just want to throw that out there. But your Goliath could be bills that you have to pay. Your Goliath could be a past that you can't get past. Your Goliath could be a future that you can't face. It could be an addiction that you can't break. It could be a career that you can't seem to advance in your life. I don't know what your Goliath is, but here's what I do know. At some point, your Goliath must fall. It has to fall. 
And in order for Goliath to fall, you have to learn how to convert fear into faith. In fact, that's the title of this message today. How do we convert fear into faith in order for those giants to fall in our our life? And I'm just going to give you two quick things. And the first thing is this. In order to convert fear into faith, you have to shift your perspective. Everybody say perspective. I was going to have you say shift, but I thought that might be a little sketchy. That might go poorly. Shift your perspective. In other words, you have to change the way that you see the giant that's in in front of you. You have to see things differently. You have to see things how David saw them versus how his brothers saw them versus how everyone else in the Israelite saw them. They were terrified. They were scared to death. They were hiding, but David shows up with swagger. Why? How? Because he was more concerned about God's glory than he was for his own story. And you have to shift your perspective from, from why is this happening, God, to whatever you want to do through this God. Because sometimes some of us live, live for ourselves. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And we have to shift our perspective and stop living for ourselves and start living for God, whatever you want to do in this. God, whatever, not why is my marriage broken? Why uh, is this, this need rescuing and redeemed? Instead of God, whatever I can do, use me. Not why, God, is this happening in our, in our city? God, whatever I can do, I want you to use me to make a difference in our city. Instead of, God, why, we have to shift our perspective to whatever. You know what, what we call that when you do that? When you gain a new perspective, when you gain wisdom, you know what that's called? It's called maturity. It's called growing up. It's called seeing things differently. How many of you in this room are parents and have kids? Raise your hand. Parents and kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has your kid ever told you, and this is a dumb question because of course they have, have your kids ever told you that something wasn't fair? That's not fair. Ever said that before? That's not fair. I remember one time I told my dad that something wasn't fair. Um, I asked him if I could have an allowance. Did anybody get an allowance? You remember an allowance? Yeah, it's kind of an old school thing where you just get money for nothing, right? It's kind of the, you just get money. And uh, I asked my dad, can I have an allowance? My friend Jimmy gets an allowance and he said, no. I'm like, that's not fair. My friend gets an allowance. And my dad said, okay, I'll give you an allowance. I will allow you to live in my house. I will allow you, right, to sleep on my bed. I will allow you to eat out of my, my refrigerator. What was he doing? He was shifting my perspective. And I do the same thing with my boys, right? It's like, I don't want them to grow up and be 18, 19 years of age, whenever it is they decide to move out of the house, right, and, and have this idea that money just kind of shows up. No, you have to work for it. You have to to earn it. There has to be a point where you shift your perspective, and David does that. He's not looking at himself. Something breaks inside of him because he hears this giant, you know, screaming out against God, and David looks more at God's glory. He's more concerned with with God's name and God's God's, uh, being famous than he is with himself. And there were three facts, by the way, that were rooted in fear in this moment. The first fact is this. David is smaller than the giant. Like, can I tell you, it doesn't matter that he, he, he killed lions and bears. The fact is, Goliath was, was reported to be nine feet tall, nine inches. That's a big guy that the, the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds in and of itself, that he had over 100 pounds of, of like, armor on. 
And so he's a big guy. And the fact is, David was smaller than the giant. Maybe that's where you are today because you see you, and then you see that thing that's in front of you, and you feel overwhelmed by the enormity of it because you just know that you're smaller than it. You can't do anything on your own about it. The second fact rooted in fear is his brothers were against him. Remember, we read that. Eliab, his, his brother, said, why, why are you here? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? I know the deceit. I know the bitterness. Isn't it funny when you decide you're going to step out or you're going to declare a dream that God has put in your, your heart, there are people, even those closest to you, who will attack you? Even church people, uh-oh, will sometimes attack you for, for stepping out and doing the right thing when no one else will. You know why? I think sometimes God uses opposition to train us and to, to teach us some things because you can't grow without resistance. And so he's using that resistance in your life to, to grow you and develop you. Not to mention the fact, if I can talk you out of that dream, then you weren't probably going to follow through with it anyway. And his brothers are, are getting on him. He faces opposition. They literally look at him and, and say this, why are you here? Why aren't you back tending the few sheep that we have? Like, you should go back. I hear the sheep calling you right now. David, come back. You know, come on, let's go. Don't laugh at that. That's dumb. Don't want to do that. I think it's funny that the people that won't stand up for what's right want you to remain seated as well. Because embarrassment's a funny thing. Shame is a funny thing. Guilt is a, is a funny thing. The third fact rooted in fear was that David is alone. He's alone. He's by himself. He had to fight the giant on his, on his own. But just because something is true doesn't make it right. And when you don't have all the facts about what's happening, then it's easy for you to respond wrong to what's going on. I remember there was a time um, uh, a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago, that I pulled up to our house about seven or eight. Some of you want to finish that. I know you do. But that's for real. I pulled up to our house about seven or eight, and I, and I got out of my car, and I heard screaming, like blood-curdling screams coming from our backyard, one of my boys, and I knew it was one of my boys right away, and so I get out of the car, I start running around to the back, I pull out my phone, I dial 9-1, and I'm ready to go, because I'm fully anticipating coming around the corner and seeing arms and legs and things kind of thrown all over the backyard, and I get to the backyard, what's going on, what's going on, I'm terrified, and my boys are laughing, they're having a good old time, I'm like, what is wrong with you? And, and I, think, I don't even know what they did. One of them probably did some dude perfect bottle flip onto it, like a tree limb or something. But they were screaming. And I'm like, well, scream, I did a bottle flip. Like, just don't just scream. You took six years off of your dad's life just now. I'm serious. I was terrified. And the reason was I was terrified is because I did not have all of the information. And because I didn't have all the information, I reacted wrong. Are you with me? Does anyone know what it's like, what it feels like to be wrong? It, let's play along. Let's, let's just do this. What does it feel like to be, be wrong? Go ahead and shout out some things. How does it feel to be wrong? It's okay. L liberating to be wrong. All right. I haven't heard that one. Embarrassing. Disappointing, maybe. Some of you are shaking your head. I've never been wrong. That's, my, that's what my wife's doing. I don't know. Humbling. Yeah, yeah, those are all good answers. They're all wrong answers. 
Because what you are describing, no, no, Colby, that, I've been wrong before. That's what it feels like. It's embarrassing to be wrong. No, you're describing, to, you're describing what it feels like to discover that you're wrong. But what it feels like to be wrong is right. Right? Because until you know that you're wrong, it feels right, right? I need to tell somebody today, just because you feel like something's right doesn't mean that it is. That just because you feel like God has abandoned you, that God has left you, doesn't mean that is true, that God is with you. Just because you feel like this giant in front of you is more than you can handle, it doesn't mean that's true because the enemy wants to feed you information that is not grounded or rooted in God's word, but is grounded and rooted in fear. And have you respond in fear rather than in faith? Because the last time I checked, this book tells us that God is for me. This book tells me that God will never leave me or forsake me. This book tells me that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it is. Are you with me? Because maybe you don't have all the information. When you don't have all the information, you respond incorrectly. Because just as there were facts rooted in fear, you gotta know there's facts rooted in faith. Yes, David was smaller than the giant, but his God was bigger than the giant. Yes, David's brothers were against him, but his God was for him. Yes, David was alone in the natural, but in the supernatural, his God was with him. Never gonna leave him. And so you have to respond and learn to respond in faith. I don't know what Goliath needs to fall in your life but I do know that the God inside of you is greater than the giant in front of you. I do know what his word says to us, that there's nothing that's impossible for God to do. And some of you, you need to get your fight back and you need to introduce the facts that are in front of you to the faith that's inside of you. Come on, somebody. You need to do that today. And the beautiful thing about this is the Bible said God is gonna be with us no matter what. In your failures, in your mistakes, and our mess ups, and maybe you're going, Colby, but you don't know how bad I've messed up. You don't know, you know, all the things that I, I've done wrong. Here's, here's what I do know. The God I know, the God I serve, says that a single mistake is not your final mistake. And that you are not defined by what you've done or where you've been, but you are defined by who you belong to. And if you belong to Jesus, if you are in Christ, you're not defined by your mess ups. He looks past your past. He looks past your, your failures. He looks past all that and loves you in spite of those. Hey, stop, stop letting the, the fear of giants write you out of a story that God has written over your life. And for some of us, your biggest hurdle is not that God won't forgive you for your past. Your biggest hurdle is that you can't forgive yourself. And God wants to free you of that. God wants to forgive you. Of course, David goes on to defeat the giant, become a great king, but how many of you know he still makes some mistakes, some big ones, adultery, murder? We're going to talk about those. I mean, he fails big time, but the reason he was a man after God's own heart was because he was a man after God's own heart at all times, in all things, great and small. Deuteronomy tells us that God is going to go before us. Psalm 23 tells us that goodness and mercy follow us. You know what that means? Either way, you're surrounded. God's got you surrounded. So in things great and small, David was a man of God because he, he looked to God. He looked to God. And he may not deliver you out of what you are going through, but he will be with you in everything 
that you are going through. So how do you convert fear into faith? First of all, first of all you have to shift your perspective. Second thing, and this is the last thing, you got to seek God's heart. you got to go after his heart. Psalm 37.4 uh, gives us uh, a formula for that as well. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is another uh, often misquoted verse of scripture because people will erroneously believe that this means that if you just are, are happy in God, then God's gonna give you what you want, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say that God's just gonna give you all of, all of your desires. What it's saying is when I delight myself in the Lord, and you know what that means? That means when I make myself moldable, when I make myself pliable, and allow God to, to, to make me into the person that he wants me to be when I, I do that, then he will give you the desires of your heart. And that word give in the Hebrew um, means bestow. It means to place inside of. So you, you could literally read that verse like this. As I make myself moldable to God, then he will place his desires in my life, and my desires now become his desires. His desires become my desires, my plans. And God has great plans for your, your life. So how do we delight ourselves in the Lord? So we seek God's heart, and the best way to do it is through three things. Number one, you gotta pray. You gotta pray. And you need to know something, you're part of a church that's a praying church. In fact, will you hand me those branches? I'm gonna have my, my son Jake help me out for a second. Thanks, buddy. You gotta pray. And I wanna demonstrate it this way. I, I saw a friend of mine uh, do something like this. Which one of these branches would you say is dead? Just point to the one that's dead. The reality is they're both dead. Both of them. It's just that this one's been disconnected from the source a lot longer than this one has. This one's been disconnected from the source a shorter period of time. This is why prayer is critical. Because prayer is the way that you remain connected to the source. And allowing God to, to feed you in communication with God back in, and forth, that your spirit inside of you communicates with God's spirit, it's through prayer. Disconnected things cannot grow. And if you've been disconnected from God, it, it, you don't even know it yet because maybe you look like this and you're feeling all pretty good and fat and sassy, you know, with yourself right now. You've just been disconnected longer or a shorter period of time than this guy. And it used to be that you used to look down on this guy, but you're the same way. And until you reconnect with the source, and that's why you have to know you're part of a praying church every Saturday. We come out for, for prayer at 9 a.m. And we beg God for a move in this city. We beg God for a move in this church. We beg God to bring people who are far from him to this house so they could meet God, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. It starts with prayer. It's critical for your life. The second thing is this, you need to obey. Man, it's not enough. James tells us it's not enough to know God's word, but you have to do what it says. And if you want to move forward and face that giant, you have to obey. And the last thing is this, is trust God. Trust that God's gonna help you overcome that giant. See, I couldn't be more excited about this series, and here's why. I think there are those of us in this room. There's a, a couple different kinds of people. One is 
you've been paralyzed by the giant that's in front of you not willing to face it. And I'm just praying that a spirit of David would rise up in you, that something would snap in this series. And you would determine once and for all, you're not gonna allow this giant to stand between you and God's glory in you. But there's some of you, you're managing your giant. You're just living with it. You've been managing that addiction. You've been managing that thing that you're walking through. And God wants to free you from that too, so that you can live the freedom, the full life that he's called you to live. So let's do this right now. Would you bow your head, close your eyes all around this room. I wanna pray for those two groups of people, but I have a third too I'm gonna pray for, and that's those of you today. That the step you need to take is you need to begin a relationship with God that you never said yes to Jesus. If you've never crossed that line of faith and given your life to him, And you need to hear this, whether you're in this room or you're online today, that for God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you, to give his life for your sins because we're all sinners. We're all separated from God by our our sin. The difference is, followers of Jesus, we've allowed Jesus and his sacrifice to pay for our sins because he's already done that. And the worst thing that you could do is to continue to pay for something that's been paid for you already. To have freedom from something that that God gives you freedom from in Jesus. And maybe your first step today is to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you, I wanna wanna pray this prayer with you and I'm gonna help you. It's through prayer that we communicate with God and I'm not inviting you to be a part of a church, I'm inviting you. In fact, God's inviting you to be a part of his family, to become a son or daughter of God. The way we do that is as we confess our sins, the Bible says, we believe that God raised his son from the dead so that we could be raised to new life as well. I wanna lead you in a prayer that does that. You can use your own words, say something like this. Jesus, I give you my heart. Forgive me for my sin. I repent, I turn from that, and I turn towards you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice and your shed blood on the cross that covers my failures, my guilt, my shame, all of it, past, present, and future. I give you my life in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, celebrate with those today in this room or online that made the best decision. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.